It's the LA Podcast. Hi, Scott. Hey, Hayes. How you doing? I'm fine. It's very hot. Um, we've never said where we record out of. It's in LA, though, which it's just hot here in general. Yeah, but I think we can say, like, we're, we're probably moving out of the office where we've recorded six episodes. It's right on Hollywood Boulevard. It's a very gross. It feels like an old um, detective's office. It's it has uh yeah it has like old movie vibes right. but not one that ever like becomes a hero at the end of the movie the guy that just like uh, frames women so their husbands can divorce them kind of thing. plants false evidence that kind of stuff um, it's it's so gross in here it smells like paint I thought the paint smell would go away but we're going away but now we, the paint smell is outlasting us <laughs> um, but the other thing that's very hot is the gossip. Over at um, the school district, over uh, the the choice for school superintendent, which happened this week. The Board of Education chose a new superintendent. Yeah, we're back to LA Unified. Butner. Butner. (laughs) Butner, right? Uh, He was chosen. He was... Everyone knew this was going to happen, seemingly. He was the anointed one. Businessman, hedge fund guy, former deputy mayor to the city, former deputy mayor, former Former, publisher of the LA Times, former head briefly of the Department of Water and Power, also under Villagrosa. His educational experience seems to have been this that nonprofit Vision to Learn that he ran in cooperation with the Clippers, where they were going to give out glasses to uh, low income. LA, LAUSD students. Right. Did they give out that many glasses? It does. So <laughs> they they gave out glasses. Yeah. But not the amount that they were contracted to give out. Basically, yeah. Vision to Learn. The the issue that they were having, the dispute they were having with LAUSD, at least as uh, as of the past couple months, is that they had not delivered the contracted amount of glasses. They okay. are behind in their contract. Yeah. And so there were some outside groups opposing him who were trying to push the failure of his glasses charity as a reason to not cho- choose Butner, but it didn't work. The school board selected him this week. But for a decision that ever, that seemed to be preordained, it was not clean. No, it took longer than expected. It, it was pretty messy. Yeah. And I was looking up past superintendents of LAUSD. Right. The last, at least the last four, uh, going back like 20 years, they were all elected unanimously. Right. By the LAUSD Board of Education. Uh, this was that was not the case this time. No. And not at all. He, he did get the, the five votes that he was expected to he get. He did get the five votes. Out of seven. Uh, yeah. So we've talked about this a bunch of times. There are four uh, pro-charter members of the school board and three uh, who are more pro-teachers union. There's a charter wing and the union wing, and right now it's 4-3 in favor of the charter people. The charter people were seen as the ones who were making the push for Butner because he has seem to support charter schools in the past and he's like a businessman you know a vague affiliation with business means that you don't want to rely on just the government to do the job and so they came out and said after he was chosen that he was elected in a 5-2 vote like you said uh with one of the votes coming from richard uh vladovic who he is part of the union wing but apparently in all the articles it just says like they're friends (laughs) what's he gonna do they're friends he's not gonna vote for his friend I think part of it is that if you have the um, the unanimity that we've had in the past, I think it reflects that there has been um, 
historically a an agreement about what LA Unified School District should be. Yeah. And now there's not that anymore. The, right. the split that we've been talking about, this charter wing, uh, non-charter wing board membership is very a, much a recent phenomenon. And the reason okay. why it's so um, important now is because LA Unified gets money in a formula from the state based on its enrollment numbers. Uh-huh. And as part of uh, a demographic trend in LA where the number of children is just declining, the school district has been losing children, but yeah. also kids have been leaving LA Unified and enrolling in charter schools. Yeah. So now you have... Um, Enrollment has been declining, I think, since 2002. Right. So you have sort of a zero-sum game, or you have had in the past, where... Uh, the school district has been fighting to retain students so that they can keep their funding afloat. And, yeah. and part of what uh, Michelle King, who was elected by the previous uh, school board, um, the pro-union majority, was trying to do was to resist efforts to essentially slash the school district budget yeah. in order to make up for projected shortfalls. Right. And they were trying to stop the flow out of the school district into charters. Now we have a, tr- a pro-charter board. Yeah, where they're not going to uh, so, be so now, concerned about that. So now they're bringing in the business guy yes. who's going to make the tough choices about the budget, right? Yes. Yeah. So that's the big thing, yeah. But I, I just want to talk about gossip. <laughs> uh, because they announced this 5-2 vote. But apparently that wasn't really how it went down. Right. Ten days before they announced that Austin Butner had had been named, that he got this 5-2 vote, apparently they had a vote on whether or not to choose him to start negotiating his contract. And that vote was only 4-3. And they, they didn't want to go ahead with that? They wanted to hold out for... Well, no, they did. Oh, that, okay. that vote passed. Oh, and okay. so then they started negotiating his contract. But he was chosen at that point. Okay. Uh, and I saw that that it was four three, and I thought like, okay, there was like a clean split between the charter and union people, and eventually uh, Vladovic switched because he didn't want to like whatever meet his friend at the paintball range or wherever they go and have him be mad. No, that's not what happened. Vladovic voted for Butner in that four three vote. Right, they already had paintball schedules. Yes, somebody in the charter wing, Kelly Fitzpatrick Gomez, voted against him. In that 4-3 vote. Why did she do that? She said she wanted someone with an experience in education. That's weird. What a dork. <laughs> you want some teacher to run the school board? That we need just, a businessman. It just sounds a little bit try hard to me. So eventually, after it was a foregone conclusion that Butner was getting through, she switched to make it look like he had more support. Because as I was saying... This split vote for this hugely important job of superintendent is very unusual. Right. I, I, I couldn't find the most recent time that there has been a divide on this. They are usually unanimous. And so after Gomez caved and they announced Butner, Scott Schmerelson, who was one of the union guys on the board, uh, dished. He went off <laughs> about how shady the whole process was. He said basically that the whole decision had been a sham. That Butner had been sort of ordained from the beginning. By whom? By, By the, just the, the charter wing? I guess so. By the charter wing and his and his friend Richard Vladovic. I guess right. if Kelly Gonez didn't even vote for him the first so they, time. So they went through this process of having several other contenders, but they had already essentially decided yeah. this is our guy. I guess so. 
And it, th- that this divide is even crazier given that they did not have many people to choose between. Right, no. Nobody wanted to do this. They were initially <laughs> considering four finalists, and two of them dropped out. Right. Um, the search had a dropout rate even higher than <laughs> LAUSD, <laughs> which is not easy to do. Um which it, and it makes sense that nobody wanted to do this because um, Buner is inheriting a disaster, right? Like you were saying, uh, enrollment has they're, been declining. They're projecting um, something close to seven hundred million dollar budget deficit by twenty twenty. So yeah, uh, graduation rates are are higher than usual. They're like seventy seven percent, but about half of kids who who do graduate. The way they graduate is they take an online course right. to make up a class that they failed. So, and if you, you know, anyone who has ever been to high school, the words online course, you just like salivate if you're yeah, a kid because no, you don't fantastic. have to do anything. It is very easy. And it's almost as if they want kids to go through the motions of taking these jerk off courses so they can increase graduation rates. And does that seem possible? And thereby funding. Yes. So I don't know if this is a sustainable system for like preparing kids for college or the real world. Um, and like you said, like we were saying, enrollment has declined every year. Seventeen thousand homeless kids in the district. Right. Uh, here's what I think is really going on. I should preface this by saying I'm not qualified to talk about this at all. But it's not as much about the charter uh, union divide. Um, as much as that Austin Butner is just going to go to war over um, this pension stuff. Right. Because I, a huge amount of the budget shortfall is these unfunded pension liabilities that the school district has. I think it's like $15 billion yeah. that they don't know how they're going to find the money for that they owe. Truly a staggering amount. Yeah. That's not even accounted for in the yeah. budgets. Yeah. Um, and... The, the pension plan for teachers is apparently very generous. Right. They don't pay premiums at all uh, for health care for, uh, for a teacher or their spouse. Right. Um, Which is kind of, uh, I think, used to be pretty common in, in terms of California pension plans. And then once the recession hit, um, a lot of government agencies, I'm pretty sure the county, you know, now has has employees pay into their pension plans, things like that. But I, I think that LAUSD is kind of an outlier. In the- As having not uh, like mm. trimmed that, right. tr- like the, the perks. Right. Yeah. Well, because the teachers union is very powerful and they've stood up for that, I imagine, for a long time. I've kind of drawn a line there. And that would make sense that that's why they would want to bring in this quote businessman who i mean his whole mission is going to be quote business well i mean honestly like it's not like he's had this like illustrious career in anything that he's that's, tried that's true he uh he was on wall street as we mentioned last time then he went and did a bunch of civic projects so he he gets billed as a businessman a lot but yeah. he's kind of been working philanthropically for quite a while at this point yeah he had a, a campaign for mayor that was like lackluster at the best i think you could call it abortive i don't yes. think he actually even was part of the race when it happened yeah i think it was like one poll was enough for him to be like oh this is <laughs> truly not gonna happen um so i mean i think the his function is to go in and just be basically be the the guy to say to the union we are are gonna renegotiate your pensions right you are not going to get what you were promised initially. 
uh, like the, the just the, the the financial health of the district is going to be like priority one. I, I imagine that that's the case, and that's I believe pretty similar to to the situation that he inherited at Department of Water and Power in 2010 uh, when he they were trying to get electricity rates raised, and he kind of went in as the person that was in the interim the head of the uh, department and basically saying no, you can't raise rates, you have to fix your internal finance. Is that what he did there? I didn't... Pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. even know that that was something he did. So he went to that DWP was, and said that they couldn't raise rates. They had to cut their expenses? Yeah, that was prior to um, being named the deputy mayor by Villaraigosa. Oh, first. Oh, yeah. okay. These, that's something that these people value, just being able to go into these entrenched institutions and tell them... Right. He's the guy. He's the guy who's never going to be elected mayor, but the person who is mayor wants to have him yeah. go say the unpopular yeah. thing to the unions. Yeah. He also is inheriting um, a strike, essentially. That is brutal. A strike. Yeah. Yes. We got to talk about the strike. <laughs> so he is um, he's coming into a situation now where the school district has just offered its... Uh, I believe last best and final offer, you know, all the things that, that they say to the union in terms of the raise and benefits package that they want to offer to um, the support services staff at the LA Unified School District. So we're talking about bus drivers, cafeteria employees, uh, custodial staffs. Yeah, these they're all part of the Service Employees International, right? That's right. a uh, union, uh, Local 99. Uh, and they had a big barg- bargaining session last Friday where LAUSD gave their best and f- last best and final offer and SEIU said no. Not good enough. Basically setting up for a possible strike going into the end of the school year, which I assume would mean a shutdown. Right. And so just so we cover it, the um, basically the contract negotiations were meant to cover retirement benefits, yeah. raises, um, and also... Uh, basically the ability to apply um, contract benefits that are secured by other unions to SEIU if if that applies and then yeah so that was what they yeah what that they was call, what they wanted what they call a me too clause right which has nothing to do with hashtag me too this nothing is regular non hashtag me too that's it's the same as the most favored nations clause I guess where um, yeah if another union negotiates new better benefits and that would apply to seiu as well um but it seems like the big sticking point is these retirement benefits this pension stuff healthcare um after retirement this feels like something that is affecting basically every uh public sector job in the state that and is like set to be like a huge issue in the next couple like is gonna explode right and this has been something that has been sort of brewing for the past several years probably five or more years and nobody has really been able to totally address the problem so it just keeps getting sort of pushed down the line gets yeah. bigger every year and it, it's hard to see it ending without a huge strike in some sector at some point, you know? Yeah, and that, and that's the thing, is that the SEIU membership has already uh, voted to give the leadership the authority to strike at any point in time. So this, yeah. this is something that's been sort of building up for the past couple of weeks, and now um, now Butner has to do yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> nice. What a, what a fun job. Good luck, once again, uh, to Butner. 
Uh, Want to hear a funny uh, former superintendent story I heard when yes. I was reading about this? Uh, so Ruben Zacharias, who was superintendent in like the late 90s, okay. he was ousted for being too much of an insider. This was part of how they just kind of waffle back and forth between wanting an insider and outsider with every new superintendent. Um, but after uh, he retired in like the late 2000s, he was arrested for pulling over a woman on the street with a, a fake badge. What? So, I nobody knows why he did this. <laughs> oh my god! It, I get. I don't know if it was like road rage or something. He's eighty years old, but managed to this woman who was driving. He's driving behind her, and I guess like waved her over <laughs> and said that he was a cop and flashed like a school district police badge. Just gave her the quick like police officer. Oh my god. And I don't know what he did after that, but he was arrested by California Highway Patrol. Yeah, okay. For, for impersonate <laughs> for uh, misuse of a badge, uh, and no one knows. Like her tail light was out. And he was just really. No one knows what he wanted it. out of this. Nobody knows why this happened. Confusing. La Unified. And then they went to an outsider after him, and everything was fine, right? Everything was fine. Yeah. <laughs> As long as you hit that 50 That was balance. probably around the beginning of the decline. So maybe they should have uh, kept him in office and not, uh, and maybe then he would, uh, wouldn't be committing crimes on the streets. <laughs> Vigilante traffic cop. So we wanted to talk about a story that came up this week. It feels very gross to talk about another sexual assault allegation of an L.A. politician. But so basically what happened was Lisa Bloom... Uh, the lawyer who was the daughter of Gloria Alred last week uh, announced that she was uh, she was representing someone who was suing an L.A. County politician, mm -hmm. unnamed, yes. unnamed someone who not and not someone who necessarily worked in uh, county office, but someone who like had residence in L.A. County. Right. Basically, uh, the politician was accused of drugging and sexually assaulting uh, a girl who was 16 years old at the time right who was known as like a star uh, youth golfer right um, and this politician took her like uh, allegedly took her out um, golfing and then put something allegedly put something in her water right and then molested allegedly her. molested her on the way to dropping her off at the hospital and th threatened her father's employment when she didn't laugh at a joke of his allegedly allegedly yes the details that were offered was that, was that this person was uh, in his early 40s at the time of the alleged incident, was an elected politician then, and is still an elected politician now, um, and is into golf, I guess. That is sort of what we had to go on. So this is basically a blind item that's out in the world. When you hear a blind item, what the, the natural response is to try and figure out who it is. And so I had narrowed it down to a very small number of people in higher office who it could be right i texted scott and uh was very excited about doing an emergency record to <laughs> announce my findings <laughs> then i was kind of talked down not by me though not by you I, I don't... you were willing to go along with this which uh i'm the is, enabler and i guess so uh, but it did end up being one of the two people who i was going to speculate that it who was accused of this again no idea what the legitimacy of the accusation is. This this alleged behavior. I do not want to be sued uh, for saying any of this. But 
it uh, Tony Cardenas came out and said that he was the person who is accused of this alleged crime. Right. Uh, he is a in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, rep, the, his region is kind of northeast L.A. County, going down to like North Hollywood. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's northeast San Fernando Valley, so from Silmar down to NoHo. Yeah, yeah. he used to be a uh, city council person. He he's like an assistant deputy whip in the in the in the house for right. the for the Democrats. So he is one of the highest level um, politicians house Democrats, yeah. accused of anything like this. Right. I mean the real ramifications politically um, are they could set another like ch- chain of dominoes in motion of like a bunch more special elections. You would ex- I mean you would expect it to essentially. I mean so I, I think the the major story is that this is yet another LA area politician who has been accused of really despicable yes. uh, conduct while in public office. Yes, and this is the highest ranking person so far to be accused of alleged crimes. But he's given no indication that he's going to step down. Right. Uh, we're getting I mean it's a very new story. Right. But we're getting close to the time when in like the election cycle where he would have to kind of make a decision on this. Yeah. And, and so Pelosi has said she wants to expedite the internal ethics investigation. Right. So I imagine that we'll be hearing a lot more about this soon. Yeah, I guess so. What was the last? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, um, and so if he stepped down, I assume there would be lots of like local um, elected politicians at like the city, county, state level who would, run for that job absolutely um and that would lead to more people running for their positions and just like continuing this um there's so many vacancies in carousel of, of special elections so many vacancies in the san fernando valley right two now. days i mean for instance in terms of all of the allegations that la area politicians are facing one of the uh assembly members that we discussed in our first episode, Christina Garcia. Christina Garcia. And in our second episode, I oh, yeah. believe. She's our favorite. Uh, and, we, and we had to make a, an active decision at, at some point to not to discuss her because new things seem to be coming up every week. New allegations of some new ethnic or otherwise uh, minority but, group that she had said a, a slur about, basically. Right. Oh, yeah. Allegedly. A brief yeah, recap of that. She... Uh, did we mention? I don't think we mentioned before that her uh, the the person that was actually accusing her of sexual harassment, his lawyer found that um, a document that an email that had been sent to his client saying that uh, they had not acted in retaliation when they terminated him yes. after he accused her of sexual harassment right. had been printed on the back of a sheet of paper, uh, essentially detailing all of. The reasons why it why they had retaliated in 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 terminating him. So now there was that we didn't mention that she was accused of saying that she wanted to punch the next Asian person she saw in the face Mm -hmm. after um, after a a vote went badly for her. Um, But the new news is that I guess maybe some there's some momentum to 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 find someone to run against her. Uh, And a bunch of people, I think, reasonably sensing that she is weakened somewhat as a candidate. I mean, the the question, what's next, I guess, like (laughs) there doesn't seem to be any end in sight for new stuff coming out about her. Uh, A bunch of people have have uh, essentially begun exploring their options of of running against her. Um, But so the the big news is that one of the um, 
one of the unions that worked to get her elected, um, the State Building and Construction Trades Council. Um, yeah, Building is, Trades Union, huge union. Is looking into organizing a, a PAC, essentially, to find a replacement for yeah. her. Which, I mean, they could basically do that single-handedly, right? Like, Absolutely. Like a union that big, they, if they effectively chose her for that position to get into office. They have the biggest like machine of like like the the biggest get out the vote machine of anyone, and so if they told her that the, that they were going to replace her, she probably will lose reelection if she even runs again. Right, and so uh, Garcia's response is not really the news here. What what actually uh, drew headlines is is Anthony Rindon, the speaker of yeah. the assembly, um, coming out and saying that this was essentially a. Uh, front for an oil lobby and um, polluting industry's interest in uh, attacking the membership of Rendon's caucus for their vote on cap and trade yes. in the previous session. So they passed a cap and trade bill that upset the oil lobby. Right. And uh, Anthony Rendon's theory is that the oil lobby is using the building trades union as a front to attack members of his caucus who voted on in favor of this cap and trade bill. Right. A little risky for Anthony Rendon to be like this is all a sham that they want to uh that they want to replace uh, Christina Garcia and it's really about this vote that I oversaw that they don't like and it has nothing to do with the now very numerable uh, allegations against her. All, misconduct of all All varieties. kinds of misconduct, uh, yes. So, to, to be fair to uh, Rendon's point, um, he and Garcia had sort of spearheaded in southeast L.A. in an effort to make sure that um, cap-and-trade and environmental policies that were being passed in Sacramento were going to be tied to areas where pollution was actually occurring okay and southeast la is one of the most that polluted very parts sensible. of the state yeah I it mean, would be like there are many democrats right. in the state assembly especially that are uh, like big oil democrats yes uh the the business friendly democrat yeah. which would be essentially a republican in, as in far as california state. is concerned yeah um so yeah that, that was one of the major fault lines that emerged during last legislative session was are you sort of like a pro business dem are you yeah. one of the uh democrats that doesn't want to go all in on these environmental policies right. or are you one of the ones that does yeah and garcia is not seen as a pro business dem uh so it would be rendon lose he's worried about losing someone from his caucus right basically next topic we wanted to talk about uh, so they're they're finally starting to choose spots for some emergency shelters uh, to get built uh, to respond to the homelessness crisis going on in Los Angeles. Uh, Garcetti, in his State of the City, announced that he wanted to roll out hundreds of, of emergency shelter beds. This was something put up by I think uh, council members Mike Bonin and Marquise Harris Dawson mm -hmm. as well. They were really pushing for changing the standards of what you're allowed to build in terms of emergency shelter beds um, for people who are experiencing a homelessness to go live in. Uh, right. It's not permanent housing, um, but it's kind of like bridge. It's not even technically bridge housing either. I think it's just beds where people can spend the night right. basically. 
I was reading an article about this, and it shows uh, a picture of Garcetti with uh, Nomar Garcia Parra behind him. <laughs> I guess unrelated to <laughs> uh, to the to the shelter proposal. I think it was clearly from something else, but it got me excited that like Nomar, Nomar was, was like the face of this. And they've been saying everybody in, right? So no, yeah, Nomar's even, in. Even Nomar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a proposal to spend twenty million dollars on these temporary shelters. And Herb Wesson, the council president, came out and they basically picked the first site for these shelters. That's the big news. Um, And it's on Vermont Ave. It's at 682 uh, South Vermont Ave in in Koreatown. And I'm not sure exactly what they're going to have there, but they're going to have shelter beds within trailers, probably. Right. Um, Tents, showers, restrooms, storage facilities, uh, things like that. Um, So this was like the big announcement that they are actually getting this going. Yeah. It seems like they didn't do a lot of neighborhood outreach before they made this announcement. That is so surprising to me. I uh, have a, a, a couple of Korean friends who saw an article in like the Korean newspaper around there and said that the uh, it's right next to like condo housing, right? Mostly occupied by Koreans who are so mad, yeah, so angry, uh, and like are already like marshaling forces to stop this right from get happening it, get it relocated somewhere else but the alternative is not good of like spending too much time getting approval from the neighborhood so it never even happens right i i, I never understand why the decision isn't just to find a bunch of these places at once absolutely and just announce like 15 locations at the same like one huge one in each council district or more right to just kind of distribute the anger and say like look this is what we have to do we this are is doing going up this. all yeah. over the city instead of doing a piecemeal or one at a time they have to fight this huge battle and then move on to the next one just rip it off yeah just do the, the do the fighting all at once yes and, and i mean that's very much how neighborhood politics works when you see one emergency shelter is going up and it's going in your neighborhood. Yeah. Then, you know, all those people say, well, just put it anywhere else. Yeah, sure. And so then it just moves around the city one neighborhood at the time. You just fight this same battle over and over again. Yeah. So this is what I think is like a something to keep an eye on, like a, a possible concern about this, about all these new emergency shelters going up. Right. I have heard chatter that... In neighborhoods where the shelters go up, so so the, so say they put up the shelter with whatever sixty beds or something at uh, on Vermont in Koreatown. Okay, I've heard that the unspoken rule is going to be nobody is allowed to sleep on the street within a certain radius of that shelter. So oh. so so by the shelter going in, that will basically give LAPD. Uh, and like business improvement district forces and things like that to go in and kind of sweep people out. So what it, what is the rationale there? Like what what is that intended to? What is the intended effect? I think it's primarily motivated by just getting people uh, the like current homeless camps gone. Right. Getting rid of those, getting them off the street. I think that's what neighborhoods are complaining about. That's what uh, is, it, is it? Kind of like a, a trade off. Like you're going to have this emergency shelter in your neighborhood, but you're going to see fewer people on the streets. Or- I mean, the, the most cynical version is that the the emergency shelters are just an excuse to get rid of the camps. Right. And even like knowing that the emergency shelters are not going to be enough right. to hold all the people who are currently living yeah, there's in the no camps, way. it doesn't matter because then they can say, you know, they can make this political case that, well, we put up the shelters. Absolutely. I, and, and I mean, even if the, that's not... Even if that's not it, it's hard to to read this uh, decision in a way that is not 
pretty cynical. I, I, just knowing that it, 60 beds. If that is what they end up doing. I right. mean, the, that's, the that's most true. ethical, ver- the, the, like the emergency shelter beds are great. I mean, the LA does not have enough beds for where, you know, where people can go yeah. at night. Nowhere close. And so if it were a system where just like, yeah, if the, like they fill up the beds and then anyone who uh, is like overflow is still allowed to sleep on the street until they come up with more beds. Right. That's fair. But San Francisco just did kind of a similar thing to the worst outcome of this, where um, uh, the current mayor, the acting mayor, I guess, Mark Farrell, um, put up a bunch of new shelter beds. Yeah. Not a huge amount, but like, but some. Uh, and then ha- like housed some people in the shelters uh, and then swept everyone else off the street. So there was a situation where uh, in the mission... In San Francisco, there were uh, 126 tents, and that was brought down to 17 right. tents in the mission. Yeah, and only six people were put in shelters. Wow. Yeah. I, I, so, it, to me, it does seem extremely cynical because, as a politician, you know for a fact that these sweeps don't actually put people in places where they can stay. No, They're, it moves them. Right. It just shifts them around. It yeah. maybe looks good to the people that you care more about, the the people that are voting for you. Oh, it looks great to the people in the neighborhood who call the police every day to get right. these uh, encampments swept out. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's just extraordinarily cynical, and it's not helpful. I, I, I guess in L.A., you just kind of imagine... There are lots of other neighborhoods where people go and they just kind of get sequentially moved from one location to the next. Right. Uh, We've both seen that in Hollywood, Silver Lake a lot. Um, But it's like, you know, there's there's no practical place for these people to go. And until the city actually finishes building enough places for them to sleep, there will be nowhere for them to go. You can't blame people for not having a bed in a 60 bed emergency shelter. Yeah. I mean, I can see why the ideal outcome for them that they could think of was be, is being perceived as a city friendly to the homeless population by people who are not homeless. Yeah, uh, as like a generous with shel- like building all these new shelters and building supportive housing and things like that. But if you actually come to the city and are homeless, that uh, you will be swept out quick, like discourage as many people as possible from being homeless in the city. Um, by doing more sweeps. Absolutely. And and that is kind of like, you know, if you're a person who is not homeless, chances of you hearing from the homeless, I'm being mistreated by the city and actually giving that sort of credence in your daily life are pretty slim. Yeah. Um, the, the homeless have a very limited voice and a, a limited opportunity to speak to non-homeless people yeah. in a way that they are actually given the respect that uh, their words are valid and and reflect reality so. yeah uh so again you know i'm not saying that this is going to to happen the increased sweeps uh, is kind of a trade-off for the shelter beds but it is happening in san francisco and it would not be inconsistent with a lot of stuff that has happened in la absolutely um so just like with all these announcements about like we're we're finally doing something we're making changes i think you just have to take it with a little grain of salt something to keep an eye on That's it. That's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Bye.